the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And a good morning, and it's past 10 o'clock, and we are guest-free in this hour, so plenty of opportunities for you to be heard about the big news and stories of the day. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook, as well as Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, and comment and uh, discuss things with me there at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, on all of your social media applications, including the liberal censorship machines. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, deviate from my uh, planned script here, as I wanted to talk about uh, uh, the race card in the Wall Street Journal uh, article today, to point out about Twitter's censorship yet again. Twitter has determined that... Um, a grieving mother, I shouldn't say grieve, well, I'm sure she still grieves. I'm just trying to follow the story. She's an angel mom. She lost her son in 2014. But she is an angel mom, and in fact, she is one of the founders of the Angel Families Organization. Her name is Marianne Mendoza. I interviewed her last year when I went to Washington, D.C. for a Hold Your Feet to the Fire with Fair. And I'll be there again uh, in two months. She is uh, the head of the Angel Families Organization. The Angel Families are family members of people who have been victimized and killed by illegal aliens, especially those who have been harbored by local governments, including uh, sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, right? So her son was killed uh, in 2014 by a drunk illegal alien who was driving the wrong way down a highway in Mesa, Arizona. So she has long been an advocate for angel families. She has been speaking out, obviously, about illegal immigration, trying to protect other people's families from people who should not be here in the United States. She posted some tweets essentially saying those things. 
and Twitter decided we can't have people criticizing illegal immigrants. We can't have people here criticizing Democrat politicians who support and defend illegal aliens. So you got to go. They suspended her from her Twitter account, told her she would not be allowed to sign back in until she deletes a series of posts about crimes committed by illegal aliens and the impact of sanctuary city policies on American citizens. So Marianne Mendoza told Breitbart News, excuse me, that Twitter told her some of her posts go against Twitter's standards on hate speech. Apparently, in a related story, Twitter has standards on hate speech. You would never know it because it is filled with hate speech coming from liberal Democrats who support Antifa and the like. Hate speech, the likes of which would make you embarrassed if you had to read it out loud to your mother. And that's just fine. But her tweets against illegal alien crimes... That violates Twitter's hate speech standards. Here's an example. In uh, When she called out 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris for her support of illegal aliens and sanctuary city policies, as well as raising awareness about illegal immigration's impact on Americans, this is one of the tweets that she has to get rid of in order to get back onto Twitter. Quote, At Kamala Harris, what law can I break and have you defend me so staunchly? Provide me sanctuary from our laws. Political cleanup from your inaction for decades is what it's called. You have hashtag blood on your hands for every death of an American killed by an illegal alien criminal that you are protecting. Now I ask you, where's the hate speech there? She is challenging a United States senator who is defending illegal aliens and saying, when will you defend me if I break a law? Why are you defending criminal illegal aliens? That, if that's, how is that hate speech? Second tweet that apparently Twitter took issue with and said it violates their standards. Uh, she quotes, or excuse me, she tweeted at uh, a person named Elora Mukherjee, and I'm guessing at that pronunciation, but she's an immigration attorney. And Marianne Mendoza tweeted at this person, fighting for illegal aliens one case at a time, the demise of our country from within. When were you and American families, um, excuse me, where were you and when American families needed representation when their loved ones were killed by illegal aliens? Pro bono for illegals, but nada for Americans. Is that hate speech? She tweeted, at never again action. Meanwhile, 4,300 plus Americans are killed every year by illegal aliens in the U.S. What do you have to say about never again? She also tweeted at Nancy Pelosi, Americans are torn apart every hour by illegal alien criminals. Every hour. And that was in response to Nancy Pelosi talking about families being torn apart at the border whenever children and uh, unaccompanied children come and they can't prove who their parents are and they have to be separated. Uh, Americans are torn apart every hour by illegal aliens. So she's not allowed to be on Twitter. She's being silenced because of those tweets. Meanwhile, you can find more hate on Twitter for Donald Trump, for Stephen Miller, for Donald Trump Jr., for, uh, for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You can find more hate than you can even imagine. That is truly the definition of hate, not just criticizing policies. And that's just fine. But she gets silenced. Why?
because Twitter, being the liberal, liberal rather, cesspool that it is, hates conservatives, hates Christians. Social media overlords. They determine what is acceptable and what is hate-filled. And their, their liberal biases literally guide their every single step. So that's why, again, I always tell you, I when I give you my Twitter handle and I give you my Facebook handle, I give you these things with a, a degree of shame. Okay? Because I am. I'm ashamed to use the very platforms that I decry. But as I've said a few different times, I will not surrender those platforms and allow the liberals to just continue to advance lie after lie after lie without doing something to try to fight back and present truth. And I will have Marianne Mendoza uh, back on this program, I promise you, probably before the end of this week, to talk about um, why she is not backing down and why, why she shouldn't. Because it, it, here's the related story. Let me give this to you real quick. This is why Marianne Mendoza said what she said about all these things. Over the weekend, we learned and confirmed that at least 14 of the 22 MS-13 gang members who were charged with murdering victims with machetes in Los Angeles last week, 14 of the 22 MS-13 members charged are here as illegal aliens. The street gang, the violent El Salvadorian MS-13 gang, 22 of them arrested and charged with a string of gruesome murders that included cases where victims were hacked with machetes to death. And and I apologize for the morning audience here for sharing this with you, but you kind of have to know. They're charged with cutting the hearts out of the chests of their victims. Records obtained by Breitbart News confirm that of the 22 MS-13 gang members charged, at least 14 of them are here in the U.S. as illegal aliens. 13 of them are from El Salvador, one from Honduras. In multiple cases, the illegal aliens were ordered to be removed, petitioned to bring relatives to the United States, were granted or denied work permits, attempted to get asylum and claimed to be victims of crimes. The same exact thing that continues to go on at our southern border right now. Four of the 22 gang members were born in the U.S. and granted birthright citizenship. In other words, they were anchor babies born of illegals here. While another four have unconfirmed immigration statuses and are presumed illegal until proven otherwise. But 14 have been confirmed. The case sheds light on how MS-13 has been quietly effective in smuggling its members and potential recruits across the U.S.-Mexico border and avoiding deportation by claiming asylum. Just like the Democrats want. Do you remember back in the summer of 2015 when President Trump launched his campaign for president and he talked about the need for a massive border wall that separates us from Mexico. And he said the reason why is because we have unchecked illegal immigration in this country and there are some bad people coming across that border. Remember when he said that there are murderers, rapists, and drug dealers coming across that border and we cannot allow that to happen in the United States? You remember that? Remember how that was received? Remember what people said? You're a racist. 
How can you demonize the people of Mexico like that? How can you demonize an entire country of people? And, of course, the then-candidate said, I didn't. I said there are those people coming in. There are good ones, too. But to believe that every migrant crossing that southern border, no matter what their country of origin is, is simply a decent, good, hard-working human being looking for a better opportunity than what is available in their country, is naive at best and political malpractice at, at worst. Maybe not political, but governmental malpractice. And sure enough, what do we have on these massive, with this massive flow of bodies across our border, overwhelming our, our facilities at the border? What are we seeing? We're seeing gang members, like these MS-13 thugs. We're seeing drug runners. We're seeing cartel members. We're seeing murderers. We're seeing rapists. We're seeing human traffickers. Exactly like the president said. It is not racist to point out something that is happening before your very eyes. It's not racist. It is responsible. A responsible leader will look at this situation and say, that cannot be allowed to continue. That must stop. Because there are. And yet we don't stop it, and here they are. MS-13, getting bigger and stronger by the day, committing, the again, the crimes that I just described for you, the most horrible types of violent crimes imaginable. And innocent Americans, and innocent also immigrants, innocent immigrants who are being slaughtered by these violent gang members. They deserve better. But we're not allowed to point that out. Because it makes us racist. Marianne Mendoza isn't allowed to point that out. She gets banned from Twitter for it. Something has to be done. We'll get a quick time out here. It's 1021. Right back with you after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty-five. As we continue on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. We just had a couple of other quick stories that I found really interesting, especially when you pair them together. Um, the state of Oregon has decided that um, their little delicate snowflake children in their schools can't handle going to all of that school in a row. They have approved mental health days off for students just as they would sick days, under a new bill signed by the governor, it's already now law, mental health days that would allow excused school absences for mental or behavioral health. And it's a victory for young activists who have unsuccessfully fought for gun control and lowering the voting age, but now they at least have their mental health days off. Kids just stressing too much. Or just didn't write his report that was due second period. I'm calling in a mental health day. How is that supposed to prepare these kids for the real world? I didn't get my work done. I didn't study for the test. I'm taking a mental health day. Granted, you got to be kidding me. But this is Oregon, so you shouldn't be surprised. Now, the reason I said there's a pair of stories when combine them together are kind of interesting is 
maybe it's a good thing that they stay out of school a little bit more because then they won't be exposed to the complete and utter stupidity and insanity of the leftist teachers and teaching uh, uh, teachers' unions uh, that are running the show. Because here's a gem for you. How about it? The president of the NEA, the National Educators Association, no, I'm sorry, AFT, American Federation of Teachers, the second largest labor union in the, in the uh, nation for teachers, said this over the weekend, illegal immigration does not lead to overcrowding in classrooms or elsewhere. Illegal immigration makes us stronger. No, really. It makes us stronger. We're a better nation because of illegal immigration. If these are the teachers, honestly, then maybe the kids are better off staying out of school a little bit more. Take more mental health days. Um, Eric in Monroe Falls. Go ahead, Eric. You're on the air. Hey, I've been a victim of that social media censorship machine myself. So have I. Yeah, I know. I know. But uh, with for something ridiculous like Dungeons and Dragons, they've politicized that now. That's not surprising. Um, <laughs> and you got to understand, it's Facebook, but it's the administrators. Um, uh, a long time ago, I, I got on a Facebook group for people who play Dungeons and Dragons. How do you get more women into the game? You would have thought I told them to go back into the kitchen. I mean, like, I got so <laughs> positive response. Everybody said there's no difference between men and women. Uh, I mean, it was like, an, I mean, they just mocked the heck out of me. Well, the idea finally died. Um, later on, uh, there was a controversy about the video game about including a transsexual character. And uh, I got on there and said, I thought we weren't talking about politics. The politics was toxic. And they banned me for that. Of course they did. That's a, if you're not towing the line exactly as they want you to, Eric, that is exactly what they do. And they will make an example out of you. And they will boot you for the, for the most you know, ridiculous of reasons. And that is exactly uh, what we continue to see on both Twitter and on Facebook. And it's why more and more alternatives and options are being presented out there. And there are more that I'm going mean, to tell you about Parlor because I joined that one. There are others that I'm looking into as well. And I will share those with you as much as I can. Not because they're conservative but because they're free. And I don't mean from cost. I mean they're free speech zones. You can be liberal and be in there, and nobody's going to boot you. You can be conservative and be there, and nobody's going to boot you. That's all we're talking about here is we're talking about free speech, free expression, not being banned, not being censored, not being suspended, et cetera, et cetera, simply because you don't toe the party line of the owners of the uh, platforms. Uh, so there are more of those, and I'll share that as we continue as well. All right, it's 1030. i got news coming your way. Then we're going to take more phone calls. I'm also going to share with you the Wall Street Journal article proving, or not proving, but pointing out how literally dead the race card really has become. It has become completely ineffective because of its extraordinary overuse. We'll talk about that as we continue as well on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1035, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. i got a bunch of phone calls I want to take, but bear with me if you would, because I've been teasing this since the uh, second segment of the show, I think. The race card in America 
and its impact on uh, American politics and, on, quite frankly, on American society. It used to be a very effective and powerful tool, generally of the left, to blame race on any criticism that somebody who is of color might receive. Uh, it's been going on for a very, very long time. It probably reached its zenith in the eight years of the Obama uh, White House in which anybody who criticized the president was then painted as a bigot, a racist, because they just didn't want to have a black president. Any criticism of Obamacare, any criticism of his handling of the economy, the wages, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, bowing and apologizing around the the world for America's uh, involvement in various things, you criticize him for any of those policy statements and stances no you just hate having a black president you don't want to have a black guy be in charge of the country that's all it is you're a racist that's the game that has been played and like i said it reached its zenith then but it certainly did not reach its end because here we sit and you cannot complain and criticize the green new deal or else you're a racist against brown people like cortez you cannot criticize the bds movement which is boycotting divesting and sanctioning israel or else that's just racism against omar you can't support Israel, because that's racism against Palestinian uh, uh, Sharia Tlaib. The race card has been played so much that it may have completely lost its effectiveness. That was the subject of the World or the uh, Wall Street Journal today. In William Julius Wilson's 1978 book, The Declining Significance of Race, the sociologist argued that racial discrimination was no longer the biggest barrier to black economic advancement. His fellow liberals were outraged. Forty-one years later, Mr. Wilson is still right, and the political left is still in denial. Accusations of white racism were all the rage in Washington these days. If you oppose school busing, you're a racist. If you want immigration laws enforced, you're a racist. If you're against slavery reparations or support adding a citizenship question to the census or criticize minority members of Congress, you're a racist. One problem is that Donald Trump has adopted the kind of identity politics we usually associate with Democrats. Another is that Democrats, <coughs> excuse me. Another is that Democratic presidential contestants in search of black votes have taken racial pandering to new lows. Pete Buttigieg, the 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana, spoke for many of the candidates when he told the National Public Radio last week that white America needs to come to grips with what he says explains today's racial inequities, namely the systemic racism all around us. It's the air we breathe, he said. Mr. Wilson's observations about discrimination and black progress four decades ago weren't novel. Conservative scholars like Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell already had been making similar points but they were striking coming from a liberal academic. Mr. Wilson did not deny the roles that slavery and Jim Crow played in perpetuating disparities. Nevertheless, he wrote, they do not provide a meaningful explanation of the life chances of black Americans today. End quote. Mayor Pete has been wrong for longer than he's been alive. No reasonable person denies that racists still live among us or that racial discrimination can retard upward mobility. Still, evidence of racial bias in the past, or the present, is not proof that racism is responsible for current social disparities. After all, the pathologies we see in low-income black communities aren't confined to those communities. 
As Harvard political scientist Robert Putnam wrote in 2017, the white working class family is today more fragile than the black family was at the time of the famous alarm sounding 1965 report on the Negro family. That's what it was called by Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Liberals who insist that racial discrimination largely explains the black-white wealth gap are ignoring other plausible explanations. Black poverty and and employment today, for example, seem to be more a function of family formation than of white racism. For more than 20... I'm going to pause there to say this. That's exactly what Larry Elder points out on a nightly basis. And guess what? I will be pointing that out on his program tonight, as I will be hosting for Larry Elder. Make sure you tune in this evening. Providing my voice holds up. For more than 20 years, black married couples have had, a pov- have, have had poverty rates in the single digits, and black married men have had a higher labor force participation rate than white men who were never married. According to the Wall Street Journal, last year, labor force participation gap between blacks and whites virtually vanished. First time that's happened since 1972. Systemic racism may be in the air we breathe, but black unemployment rates are at generational lows. Family instability and fatherlessness collide with racial and economic disadvantage to create a negative feedback loop in black communities, hampering children's potential and perpetuating racial inequality, writes Kay Heimowitz in a recent City Journal essay. Citing new research by John Iceland, a demographer at Penn State, she notes that, quote, differences in family structure are the most significant variable in explaining the black-white affluence gap. In fact, its importance has grown over time relative to other explanations, including discrimination. Unable to pool earnings with a spouse, to take advantage of economics of scale, and to share childcare, black single parents have a tougher time than their married counterparts building a nest egg. Government programs are no substitution for the development of human capital. If wealth redistribution schemes lifted people out of poverty, we would have closed the gaps a long time ago. Liberal politicians and activists have little interest in addressing the ways in which black behavioral choices impact inequality. It's easier to turn out voters and raise money by equating racial imbalances with racial bias and smearing political opponents who disagree. Will it work in the end? It didn't for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Telling people what you think they want to hear can be easier than telling the truth, but you also risk insulting them. And blaming bad outcomes among blacks on the malevolence of others is not only wrong, but insulting to Americans of every race. This isn't 1950. Attitudes have changed. Behaviors have changed. American neighborhoods and schools and marriages are more integrated. We elected a black president twice, and he won several of the nation's whitest states, both times. Racism has probably never been less significant in America than it is today. And blacks have never had more opportunities to seize than they have today. But liberals are pushing a narrative that many white voters don't recognize and that many black voters know is false. The race card. The race card is dead. It's busted. It can't be used anymore because the facts simply don't point to that being a problem. If there is a gap in white and black between white and black advancement and achievement in the united states it is almost certainly the result of choices within the various communities not racism certainly not systemic racism so to blame every critique of a person of color on the 
color of their skin rather than the ideas that they represent or the choices that they make is wholly incorrect and inaccurate. That's the point being made here in this Wall Street Journal editorial. All right, let me go back to the phones now. I told you I wanted to share that with you since the first hour. If you look at all of the facts about this country right now, racial discrimination is probably at an all-time low, literally since Jim Crow, right now today in America. More people of more colors and more uh, various diverse backgrounds have more opportunities to achieve now than they ever have before. It's a matter of choices. BJ's in uh, North Olmstead on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, BJ. Thank you, Bob. You're precisely on the subject I would like to bring up. The largest group of racism in this country are the white Democratic Socialist Party. They provoke it. They instigate it among the black people, the Hispanic people. They tell them that they are being put down, that they should be taken care of. A number of our race, our own race, white people, no matter if they are Christian or Jewish, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, are the ones that perpetrate this racism on the rest of this country. If this country was entirely white, there would be a group of white people that would hate America, and they hate it for whatever reason. There's a sadness going on that I see in the faces of many people in America that do not appreciate the success that this country is having. At the greatest point in our time right now, there is a lot of misery in our country. When World War II broke out, I remember how the country came together and how people got together in their mind and wanted to defend this country and honor this country, honor the people that fought in it. So I am not angry at other races. I am angry at my own race of people. They are disgusting and despicable in their hatred for this country. And I think as time goes on, we're going to become more aware of this group of people that instigates the hate in the country. They happen to be white. I don't care if they're Jewish or if they're Christian or Gentile or whatever. They are our own race, and we have to face that before we start blaming other races. I don't blame the other races for being upset. They're told that we're a miserable group of people. We're a miserable country. We have a rotten constitution. The people that brought this country to what it is for freedom for all races is being spit upon, and their statues are being taken down. And that's being perpetrated by white socialists. And I have no use for those people. They're despicable, and I hope we wake up to it in our own race. Thank you for your time, Bob. They are exactly that, BJ. They are despicable, and I have no use for them either. Uh, and I'm so glad to hear your, your points. Thank you. Uh, I always like hearing from Navy man Norm in Strongsville as well. Hi, Norm, go ahead. Well, if I needed anything else to confirm the fact what the illegals are doing to our country, it was on your 1030 News, Bob. For the first time ever, the Social Security Administration announced that they are going to be paying out more money than they are taking in. In other words, they are on the verge of insolvency. But we were told by our wonderful Democrats Oh, they don't have to worry about the Social Security until 2035. Everything was hunky-dory. Well, guess what? All of these illegals that are drawing down on our Social Security system, on our Social Security disability system, have put a dent into the fund, a big dent. Now, what are our wonderful politicians going to do about it? Well, guess what? The only thing they can, they're going to have to cut benefits. Either that or come up with another tax. 
So this is this goes to the heart of the problem, Bob. All of these illegals, and I'll bet you there are literally millions drawing down Social Security that do not deserve to for not working here, are killing our Social Security system. And what is the government going to do about it? Well, they'll wring their hands and they'll hold hearings, but then we'll do a damn thing about it until, you know, they'll come up to us and say, well, guess what? We're going to have to cut your benefits in half to accommodate these poor legals. That's coming. It's unbelievable, Bob. It's unbelievable. You know, Norm, everything you said is true. Um, And I I seem to recall that during the Bush years, I think in his second term, did he and his administration not move to privatize Social Security, waving the warning flag that it is going to become insolvent way faster than people think, and they need to find new ways to make sure that it would remain solvent, and that means putting it into the market? He certainly did, and for that, and he, he was, was laughed at. He was condemned. He was criticized. He was, he was, you know, he was, he was the buffoon. He was the dumb uh, Texas rancher and the, the whole nine yards. I, we saw all of this coming, and as typical, you know, you know, uh, as our government is, they, they, they dismissed that and did nothing. His political opponents, who just opposed him to oppose him, the same way they did or are doing for Donald Trump, uh, essentially said, "You don't know what you're talking about. We're good until at least 2040, and by then we'll have something else thought up." Well, case in point, you know that I'm uh, uh, a retired IT security and cybersecurity consultant. Yes, yes, And last year, I read a story on one of my data security breach sites about a woman in uh, Chicago. The IRS came knocking on her door and said, you owe us about $4 million for all the illegal or for all the illicit tax refunds that you got this year. Over 400. Now, listen to this. This is how the IRS thinks. This woman, Social Security number, was stolen, and over 400 1040 returns were filed um, with different names, but using her number, her number, and to the tune of over $4.5 million. Now, you would think that the IRS computers would catch something where you have the same Social Security number replicated 400 times, and they don't catch it. And they, they know that these checks are being sent to Mexico, to Guatemala, to Honduras, to El Salvador, overseas. I mean, there are literally millions of Social Security payments going overseas. But to have the same Social Security number uh, <laughs> passed 400 times and their system doesn't catch it, the IRS, this tells you why we're having an insolvency in the Social Security system. They don't audit. They don't do due diligence. They don't check for duplicates. I mean, it's, it's, it just defies common sense, Bob. That's such you, a great uh, point that you make, and I'll tell you something else, Norm. This, is, you know, this would be the same government who is mismanaging Social Security, not noticing what you just described, those kinds of, of things, that the left wants to take over all of our health care with Medicare for All. They want it to be universal, single-payer, government-run system, the same government that runs the VA, the same government that runs Social Security and so many other failing uh, agencies and arms uh, that they're supposed to be running for the American people. There is not a chance in you-know-where that I want to give the government any control whatsoever over my health care choices. That's why we must defeat them. And you know exactly how that story is going to end, and it will end with the demise of the United States of America as we know it. We'll be no better than Venezuela or Cuba, Bob. 100% agree. 
Have a great day. God bless, Bob. Keep up the fight. Thank you, my friend. God bless. You keep it up as well. Uh, we need your voice, and always appreciate it when it's here. It's 1051, final segment of The Authority, coming up next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. now, final segment of the Bob France Authority. Thanks for being a part of the conversation today. Do not forget, if you are interested in more and deeper discussions on the matters we have touched on today, and more, um, it will happen tonight during the Larry Elder Show. Larry is off tonight. I will be sitting in for him and looking forward to speaking with everyone who listens to the great sage of South Central. TJ is in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420. The answer, hi, TJ, go ahead. TJ, are you there? There you are. Yeah, no, I couldn't hear you, but I do now. Go ahead. Yeah, this Teachers Association, what a group of beauties these are. You know, they can't even educate the children we have now on an acceptable level. Now they want to add millions of more in the classroom. And don't we hear constantly them whining and complaining about oversized classrooms? We need more money, more teachers, more buildings. Uh, The only thing it's going to make greater is the tax burden on the American worker. You know, it's going to get to the point... We might as well just sign our house over to the teachers' union because the damn property taxes are going to be so high we won't be able to afford to live in our own homes in the future. You know, TJ, I don't disagree. And and what bothers me as much as all of that and, and, you know, that they're talking about illegal immigration is, again, their leftist ideology. They stopped teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And and obviously um, education is advanced beyond those core subjects. But my point is they are teaching political theory and they are indoctrinating students on, you know, matters that they have no business teaching. You know, talking about, you know, uh, the transgenderism and how they're trying to teach them that there are more than two genders now and, and, and all of these things that science has proven for, you know, the history of history. All of these things are out the window because of their political agenda. So between the NEA and the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, you know, teaching uh, false facts uh, to students and then, again, trying to increase the number of illegal immigrants that are coming into the schools. And the only reason, by the way, they do that, TJ, is it creates more jobs. They are a union, after all. The more schools, the more students that are here, legal or otherwise, the more schools they have to open, the more schools, it's more jobs, more jobs, it's more dues, the more dues right into their pockets. So there's a there's always an agenda. Yeah, and you know, Bob, it's not just us, but you look at the statistics. We're one of the worst in the industrialized world at educating our children, and our teachers are the highest paid in the industrialized world teaching them. There's something wrong here. And their only answer to everything is more money, more money, more money. When is America going to wake up to this? When I hear these people talking, they're so underpaid, they're so poor it is. You know, I keep telling them, go out and climb a pole for a living. Go, go unload trucks uh, uh, on a graveyard shift and come back and tell me how tough your job is. You know, or go patrol in Afghanistan mountains somewhere. Come back and tell me how tough your job is when you only work 165 days out of the year and you're paid upper middle class wages for the most part. Uh, and they just keep asking for more and more and more. 
I, I'm I'm sick of it already. Yeah, no, TJ. I hear. I would I would add this to the discussion though. And thanks for the call. I'm going to wrap up the uh, the conversation and the show with this. Everything that TJ just said about um, uh, you know about the performance of our schools in terms of you know nationalized testing and uh, national or I shouldn't say I should say standardized testing nationwide testing and so on and so forth compared to the rest of the world or a lot of the other industrialized world we are uh, we are behind the, the you know the rest of them I don't put that all on the teachers this is where I would uh, disagree somewhat uh, I've said this before and I know this from firsthand experience as a classroom teacher for six years it is so much more about households and parenting than it is about teaching because I can be the world's greatest teacher and have great ways to reach kids but if the kids aren't in class because mom and dad don't make them come if the kids didn't do their homework because mom and dad didn't sit down with them and make sure that it was done and use punishment if need be to uh, uh, to to encourage them to do it if moms and dads aren't participating great teachers can't teach it's just that simple and far too many of these homes in these communities are in that boat. So that's the one caveat that I would add to what TJ had to say. All right, that's it. That's all the time we've got. Mike Gallagher's coming up next. Enjoy that, and then I'll talk to you tonight on the Larry Elder Show. Enjoy Bye-bye. Silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.